be played in a old Nazi bomb shelter. Wow. <laughs> so it was like it was like fifteen foot underground. The walls were like five foot thick, and the Soviets had, when they started taking control of Poznan, they then started using this. Uh, well, it's now a nightclub, obviously, but they started using it as like a communications hub. So in the green room, there's all this old Soviet communication equipment that's too heavy to lift back out. <laughs> so it was just like, you just end up in crazy places like that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the After Party podcast. On today's episode, I have DJ, label owner, and one half of Craigie Now's, Hunter Mitchell. If you do enjoy today's episode, then please give us a like, subscribe. Please also feel free to give us a share. Share us on social media or send the episode over to your friends. And that way you'll help us grow the platform and engage with more listeners. Thank you for listening. So how are you feeling? Pretty good. A little bit tired, but not, not too bad. Not too bad. For everybody listening, you were playing last night at Village Underground. Yeah. In London, Alien Communications Party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was like the first first time I'd played back to back. Well, me and Max have both played back to back with Sai from well, he's playing as Alien Communications now That's on right. his own. So it was good. It was I think when you get play when you get booked to play back to back with someone, you sometimes don't know how it's gonna go. But I think we've got fairly similar tastes in music, so it wasn't something that I was worried about. And it, it went really well to be fair. It went well. Did you did you speak to him about the set beforehand? Was that something that you that you kind of went back and forward and maybe discussed like what you would play or no, not really. I think there was like a brief message about starting out with ambient and then just building it up from there. But I think going on just kind of conversations that we'd had about music in the past and that we both well, all three of us were pretty comfortable about what was going to happen. So nice. There wasn't any um, left field things really coming out of woodwork it was good nice bounced off each other yeah yeah what was uh what did you think of the venue i think we'd kind of spoken about it off camera it's cool it's like some it's like a cavernous place which can be difficult for sound but actually i was i was really pleasantly surprised it's not the type of place that we play very often as well so it was no it was nice to do something different in like a big a big room it's a big space yeah Yeah, really big space what is the capacity then it's i think it's 800 right i think and i think they were it must have been pretty close to full when we were there it was so, full i what what time was the party going on till was that so we were on half 10 till half one and then luca lozano was playing and then um katie and papa nugs were on at the end and i think it went on to like five Right, nice. But I didn't make it. No, that, that long. <laughs> was that particularly because you had the the podcast today? Because you were coming here, did you did you rein it in with us in mind, or did you? To be honest, I'm not. Neither of us. I think we've done the majority of our partying, so mm. now it's kind of a case of we'll stay and hang out with a few friends for a bit afterwards. But if we're not on last, then it's it's pretty seldom that we'll make it to the end. Mm, I can relate to that definitely. I feel similar to be honest i think when you're doing it all the time mm-hmm. it, it, for years on end it can it can kind of grow it can grow tiresome a little bit the party side of it right yeah th- i think and the whole reason we're doing it is because we like djing and we like music so when we've kind of done the thing that we've 
gone there to do. Mm. Um, we've both got like stuff at home that we need to be responsible for. So yeah, it's a boring answer, but it's just kind of <laughs> the way that it is now. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, to be honest with you, a few people have said that that have been on the podcast, a few different guests that I've, that I've had on that um, also DJ professionally as well. They've kind of said they like to go and DJ and actually don't really enjoy being on the dance floor as much these days. They kind of, they go get the, get the kick out of the DJ and, and really enjoy that part of it. But they like, they like to go home and, and take it easy afterwards. So it's not, I don't think it's unusual, um, especially for someone who's doing it as regularly as, as yeah. you are, you know? Um, so I suppose you've probably played in London a fair bit, have you? Yeah, it's outside of, Glasgow, it's probably the place that we get booked for the most, I think, just because there's so many people there. And not that we're into, like, niche music, but there's probably a smaller scene than there is with other more popular styles of dance music. So London's kind of the common denominator when it comes to mm. and more, like, underground-sounding stuff. So, yeah, we play quite a lot. What are some of the other venues that you've played at down there? Um, played at Mixed Garage... That was really good. That was that was a few years ago. Um, I'm trying to think what else we played. Played at a, a place in Peckham. Played at Peckham Rye. Mm. And then we played, there was another place in Pe Tola, mm, a club yeah. called Tola. That's really, really good. Um, last time we played in there, it was, I think there was like a heat wave and their air conditioning was broke. So it was like 36 degrees. So the that was the one time all the door staff were like, if you want to take your clothes off, you can just take your clothes <laughs> off, it's fine. <laughs> so we ended up um, playing there. That was really good. Um, Did you take your clothes off? I didn't, no. no. no I didn't want to ruin everyone's no. night. Um, <laughs> the other play, we played Fold as well. That's my favourite club Amazing. in, in yeah. London. Yeah, yeah. That was really good. That was a few years ago. We did a label party there with Jensen Interceptor, Repton, Carol Finlow, and Minu, who works at Boiler Room as well. Jules, mm. she's a really good DJ. But that was that was a fun party. But I've always been meaning to go back to actually have a night out there, but I've just never never, had never the managed it yet. I think I remember seeing that on Resident Advisor. I think mm -hmm. or I remember seeing it advertised as. Yeah, it's an amazing club, right? It's it's definitely for me. I'd say it's probably the best club I've been in London. Maybe it's, it's one of the best clubs in Europe. I would say now it's yeah, and they do it properly. Like they they care about the people that are going there. I think they've even got like a qualified doctor on site at all times. Wow. They've got a fund where if someone takes ill or they're like maybe had too much to drink or whatever they've got someone who will accompany them home and pay for the taxi and then wow. they'll come back to the club which is the way that's going above and beyond but i think a lot of other clubs could take a leaf out of their book and try and show a bit more care because at the end of the day people people are there to kind of forget about everything else that's going on in their lives and sometimes they will just take it too far it's just the nature of the the scene that's uh you definitely i mean you can you feel that when you're at the club you feel like every every little detail from the door staff on the way in to the people that um you know take your money at the door cloakroom everything just feels like they take they care about it so much yeah. um and then i mean obviously the crowd the crowd is uh, it's an amazing crowd that the venue attracts as well i feel like i feel like 
from clubbing there to me it, it kind of feels the most like clubbing in berlin or somewhere in europe it's very Euro european the way that it's set up and the atmosphere is if for some reason you can't get to berlin if you want something that's of a similar ilk i would say fold is apparently the white hotels really similar as well in manchester oh, yeah where um they do the meat free parties that's another one that i'd love to go to but i've not i've not been yet yeah, I've. I think my girlfriend. My girlfriend was living in Manchester. I think she was telling me about the White Hotel, but I've. Um, I've not really been to anywhere down there outside the warehouse project. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I've been. I think pretty much every time I've been there, it's just been to go to warehouse project yeah. and then leave. Um, but I'm sure there's a wicked scene as well. I need to. I definitely need to check it out. Yeah, there is. I don't think there's as many clubs as there used to be, but I think. Anyone that I speak to who's been to the White Hotel says it's it's proper. Mm. So after this, you're heading back up to Perth, right? Mm -hmm. That's where you're from. Yeah. From Perth. What was it like for you growing up there? Um, probably just the same as anywhere else, just with like less people. Um, the there's not really like a scene as such. They had the ice factory, which was like super popular in the 90s at the time it had like a 2000 capacity and it would sell out like every every saturday night so it was open once a week but i think they had there was even like older people older djs and people that went clubbing in perth that i'm friends with said that they used to have buses coming from wales wow every weekend to go to the ice factory i think that was more kind of it wasn't kind of american Detroit and Chicago dance music there. It was more kind of like UK mm. kind of progressive Balearic stuff as well that they, they were kind of more into. So the rumba was the main party there. And I was too young. I think that maybe stopped in like 2004, 2005. So I would have been about 12 or 13, but just hearing stories, it was kind of infamous. Mm. And then... Yeah, the, we just kind of started putting on little parties ourselves and it kind of snowballed from there. Mm. So uh, you kind of, I suppose you were exposed to the culture without actually going to the club, mm -hmm. like maybe, was there people, like older people in your community and stuff like that were, were kind of telling you yeah, about it? And you were... So my my uncle was a DJ, not, not professionally or anything, but he collected records and so did my big cousin as well. And my first introduction into like dance music was through through him and it wasn't any specific genre it was just kind of like old relief record stuff like the really hard like tracky chicago stuff then a band called red snapper who are from london and it was like they play live drum and bass as well with like a big double bass wow and not so much dance music but just like jamiroquai records and love jamiroquai um, who else the streets, mm. that sort of stuff. So not not specifically one type of dance music, but just something that kind of, I was like, holy shit, what's that? Because I hadn't, I just heard stuff that my parents played and they're not overly musical. Right. But I was lucky in the sense that my uncle was into what I would class as like good, good yeah. alternative music. What age would you have been around then? Like nine or 10. Right, okay. So he's, my uncle's only 
14 years older than me so he's not like there's not a massive age gap so he's more like a big brother so anything that he did growing up it was like oh i want to yeah like, you always try and emulate kind of the older ones in yeah. your family really the ones that you think are like cool or whatever he was like a role model almost like mm -hmm. my role model kind of thing and yeah that's cool um how did that then develop into you starting to dj or at what point did you realize that you that you had such such a strong passion for music that you wanted to do something musical yourself i think the fact that a couple of our older friends had started getting into dance music mm -hmm. and then we'd it was kind of i think around like 2006 2007 it was like when indie rock was like massive so i think everyone in that generation kind of went through a phase of being into that sort of stuff and then we used to go to the reading rooms on the train in dundee and we used to go through there when we were like 16 17 and climb the wall to sneak in wow it was like a, <laughs> it was like a 15 foot stone wall <laughs> and I still look about 18 now, so I, I have no idea how I never got kicked out all the time yeah. then. But we used to sneak in there and that was kind of really harsh, like French electro was in at that time. Yeah, yeah. But you can't really pick and choose what's available when there's not like a massive scene. Mm. So that was kind of the the gateway into being like, oh, this is what nightclubbing's like and if I think a few of us that instantly struck a chord more than going to like a live venue because generally the sounds actually better in nightclubs where dance music's playing and you get to hear the music at its full capacity. Whereas I think a lot of bands, especially ones that we would have been seeing around then it's kind of local bands and there's not like an amazing sound tech on the sound systems, maybe a bit shit. And I think just, even like any sort of music, if it's made well, it's like really rousing if it's on like a good sound system. So I think that's where we probably got a lot of inspiration from. And there wasn't an awful lot going on in Perth at all at the time. So rather than getting the train through to Dundee all the time, we're like, let's just like put on our own party and somewhere where we'll be able to get away with it really, because we're still under 18. Amazing, amazing. I definitely went through that phase of the sort of 2006, 2007 in the skinny yeah. jeans, yes. Converse. I think yeah. I used to wear a waistcoat with a t-shirt and like a wee scarf and I had long hair, yeah. like the total brutal look, I looking know. back. Yeah, <laughs> looking back. But funny times to look back on. I think everyone, like, I think our generation, that, that that's just what you did. Now it's kind of everyone's, you know, into rather than indie rock it's kind of it's moved into like hard well hard yeah trans techno sounding stuff the stuff that's getting played just now yes yeah, the tiktok yeah, technos what yeah. what this generation's into yeah tiktok technos i've never actually heard it described in that way but that's a, that's a good yeah. name for it to be honest i mean yeah it's, it's almost a bit of a hot topic a conversation at the mm -hmm. moment i saw the video with dvs1 talking about it. Did you see that? It was, I think no. he was being interviewed um, at uh, ADE. He was maybe on a podcast actually. And there was a little snippet doing the rounds of him talking about it. And I th he was kind of saying similar to what you were saying though, actually about it being like a gateway. And he mm. was, he was, he was, wasn't talking too negatively about it, but I think 
Yeah, it's an interesting. I can't remember everything he said, but it's an interesting little watch if you come across yeah, it. But I, I think the the thing with it is is what it what it stands for. Like, if you're that age, you're very susceptible to kind of being in with the right crowd and doing what you think pleases other people. So if that's the cool thing, then whether people are actually really into it or not, they're going to pretend that they are, and then you're going to get. Like there, there'll be natural avenues for people to go down where they're like, like us. Like I don't listen to French electro now. No. Um, but that was like the gateway, and this is it's the same thing for these younger yeah. kids as well. Like they'll get into some of the. I'll end up not listening to dance music at all. Some will be into like techno, like dub techno or whatever. There'll be loads of different variations. And I think it probably is a phase. Yeah. Like indie rock's nowhere near as big as it used to be, so. No, I know. And it's funny thinking about that because I mean, to be honest, a lot of that music, I still will chuck it on Spotify now and listen mm -hmm. back to it, like Arctic Monkeys and stuff like that. It's amazing music, but it's funny to think that it, that it isn't anywhere near as popular. And I don't know if it's to do with technology and maybe how it's so accessible for people to just get Ableton and yeah. uh, or get Logic and what have you. I, th I think that specific type of music as well, because of what's happened over the past couple of years, people weren't able to go to nightclubs and they've probably learned about dance music through their phones rather than being taught how to behave in a nightclub or like the art of like say art but like warming up and all that sort of stuff there yeah their their thoughts of what it is to go out and dance and be in a nightclub is the 15 second clip of like big drops or like people going crazy and like a full night isn't like that at all no that's that's a good way to look at it i think you might be right because it definitely seemed to me that this whole thing just came right out the back of COVID and lockdown. Mm -hmm. And and I actually felt like I noticed a huge difference in the energy on the dance floor right after COVID compared to, well, in DJing in clubs in Edinburgh and stuff like Cabaret Voltaire, where it is young students who are that sort of age group who maybe, maybe missed out on the, the pivotal, pivotal years, uh, their, their first clubbing experience. I felt like I, at those kind of clubs, I really noticed a difference in the energy on the dance floor. And I think you're probably right. I think it has maybe got to do with just getting an education or a little bit of an education in the dance music through like TikTok and stuff. Yeah, and, and it's not it's not their fault either. Like you only know what you know. And if they're not getting the exposure that we were lucky enough to get, then, but I'll come back around again, um, unless there's another thing like that that happens. <laughs> Hopefully not. But I think it'll just maybe take them a little bit longer to to kind of get get where they're actually going. Yeah, I think you're right. So to backpedal a little bit, oh, actually, before I do that, I wanted to ask you, you said uh, French Electro, what kind of what acts were getting played? Cause... So there was a night called Control-Alt-Defeat at the reading rooms, and they used to book guys like um, Edo, mm. who's from Dundee. He's actually, I think he's doing really well under another alias at the moment. They used to book... Um, you know, Clouds, yeah. the artists, they're from Perth as well. All right, cool. Um, so they were the year above us at school, but they were kind of into that like trashy electro sounding stuff before they went into kind of more like German techno right. sounding. Um, who else? A guy called 
Xavier Gassaman, who played under the name Don Rimini. Mm. Who else was that? Oh, um, what was his name? He had an alias that was like really Wolfgang Gartner. I remember Wolfgang remember him? Gartner. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. he's got a alias that makes like really funky sound in Chicago house oh, cool. that like Derek Carter and stuff play, but you would never put the two together. But it was only until, what's his name again? It was like Mario Fabriani. That mm. was his like Chicago um, kind of Derek Carter style house music alias. But then he made kind of that charty electro stuff under Wolfgang Gartner. But it was just people like that um, that we used to go and see. And I'm trying to think who else. It, it kind of crossed over between like electro and can you remember like the bloody beetroots and fake blood and all that sort of stuff. Yes, yeah. yeah. I used to like fake blood. I yeah. Used, yeah, yeah. I used to, I remember um, I was like 18 and I was working in Urban Outfitters mm -hmm. and uh, I remember them having fake blood on us. One of us had fake, fake blood on and I think, I'm sure I went to see him at, um, I'm sure I went to see him somewhere in Edinburgh and also maybe saw him at Rockness or something mm -hmm. as well. But there was a lot of people around about that time. I mean, Errol Alkin and stuff. Like, I, I love Errol Alkin yeah. now. But yeah, I remember listening to him back then and going to see him playing. And I think there was a, there was almost a bit of a crossover from that indie scene, Yeah, there was, there? because was... the Bloody Beat Troops played, like, drums live on stage and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, you're right. There probably was a quite a big crossover yeah i think so i remember one night i um this was maybe a couple years after then this was maybe like 2009 or 2008 i went to see falls um in edinburgh at the picture house and it was right after their second album came out um i can't remember the name of the album i've actually got on vinyl somewhere but it, the gig was amazing like unbelievable gig and uh, it was halloween and Simeon and Mobile Disco were playing at Cabaret Voltaire. And I went to Cabaret Voltaire after, and they were there, and we met them. So it was, you could see that there was like, there was other um, bands that were de doing DJ sets as well. We for after Hot Chip and stuff hot like that. Hot Chip, yeah. yeah, exactly. Hot Chip and um, Friendly Fires That's right, were yeah. doing it as well, yeah. Yeah, so there was a there was a big crossover. Yeah, actually, to be honest, I look back on that period like quite fondly i feel like it was there was loads of cool stuff going on like it was interesting like it's not stuff that i always like i, I don't listen to it now but if it came on like it it doesn't make me cringe with like the sort of stuff that mm -hmm. i used to listen to I, I think like it was of its time and it definitely had a like it was an impressionable time mm -hmm. and it was part of like the formative years of like finding because you're not gonna just I think there's very few people that find a style of music when they're like 19 and then they they just stick to that forever. Yeah. Like, I think you're always kind of evolving and listening to new stuff. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, even, even in the last few years, I feel like my taste is, is kind of changing more and more. And, and certainly in my, in my career, DJing, my my style, the stuff that I've been playing has developed so much mm -hmm. in like the last five, six years. And you'll be I'm sure you'll be the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, I wanted to backpedal a little bit because you obviously mentioned that you guys started throwing parties. Where did you actually meet Max? Max isn't here today. And for anybody that's listening, um that's not familiar with you guys, mm -hmm. you know, as a, a DJ duo yeah. and a label. 
there's two of you. Mm-hmm. Um, the both of you were performing last night yes. with Bays, who was also on the podcast recently. Mm-hmm. So where did where did you guys meet? So we met. So we were kind of at schools that were fairly close together mm-hmm. at primary. And we used to, there was like a swimming pool disco every like Saturday night. So we used to go to that and we actually just used to fight with the other, as you do as like a 10 and 11 year olds and to try and like impress your mates and or like girls from other schools or whatever at this disco. Because Perth's quite a small place. So you end up recognizing people from like, if you play football against them on a Sunday or whatever. So then it was basically just our schools used to knock lumps out of each other. Mm. And then... In primary seven at the end of year, you know how like schools would do like a big trip. It just so happened that my school and his school would go all to Holland, Belgium and Germany together mm-hmm. and do kind of like a tour. So we did that. And then I think at like the first set of services we stopped at, there was like a bit of a scuffle. And then I don't know who suggested it, but there was some form of like, 11 year olds had a meeting and called a truce <laughs> that, 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 that they would stop that and in fact i think it was more like we could probably cause a lot more havoc together <laughs> rather than like splitting up so it kind of just started from there and then you've yeah, kind of just been best mates ever since then so mm. be going on it's almost like well yeah it will be like 20 years wow that's really cool and uh so how did that then develop into Craig and Oz. So you met each other really young. I mean, you, you'd you said that you'd started, you'd already started hearing dance music through your uncle mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, so. so we'd, we kind of went through school being in that kind of like indie rock phase. And then our older friends started DJing. And then we, after being at the reading rooms, we're like, oh, we'll just decide to to start a party so we started one at the there was a pub at the end of my parents street that would serve underage kids so mm-hmm. we're like we'll just start doing thursday nights there so there was a student night at the main nightclub in perth on on a thursday so we used to do pre-parties to that and it ended up being more popular than the actual nightclub wow party so there was maybe I mean, at a push, it could probably hold 200, but there used to be like 250 people wow. crammed in there. So it was like an old man's pub during the week. Well, every other day, actually, apart from a Thursday night. So, and all we had was two, didn't have any bass bins, it was just two tops <laughs> and a MIDI controller, no monitors. And um, probably for the first six months, because we didn't know any better, like YouTube rips. Mm-hmm. Um, so really poor quality YouTube rips. But it was... Like again, we didn't have any, any like kind of point of reference as to how you do it properly. So, we, we just did it ourselves and kind of made it up as we we went along. And it seemed to, yeah, we did parties there for a couple of years, and then we had one big party at um, another nightclub on Christmas Eve, and there was. Perth's not a very big place. I think there's 40,000 people and I think there was like 600 people at this Christmas Eve party. And then the owner of the ice factory had heard about that. I think this is when we were maybe like 18 or 19. And then he basically said, I'll pay for you to book DJs at the ice factory because it had been shut for like six years then. So 
as like 19 year olds at the first meeting about putting on the new night I think 12 of us turned up <laughs> and there was like one club owner and he was like are 12 of you actually like gonna put in any input and I think after like the second or third meeting there ended up being like four of us yeah because <laughs> they were just sitting there just like smiling like <laughs> excited at the fact that we we're gonna get a put on a party in the nightclub that had been closed for for like six years yeah that's amazing. You must have been popular boys if you were bringing down 600 people to an old man's boozer. Yeah, I, I think the what was also good about the going through the reading rooms was that there's four main schools in Perth. So again, I think it's just what you do when you're that age, there'll be trouble between schools. And because mm -hmm. Perth's not a big place, you, you're always bumping into each other. So there was always quite a lot of aggro at a young age. And then as you get a little bit older, you get a little bit more sensible. And we used to see other groups of boys from other, the other schools coming through the reading rooms. And then we kind of just formed like groups, like a one big group from those four schools. So mm. you kind of know everyone in Perth. And then when we started putting on those parties, that's when you were able to bring in like 600 people because there was like a couple hundred from each school. Wow, wow, wow. So that the parties that you'd done at that old man's boozer, that would have been your first gig. Yes. That was your first yeah. gig. Can you remember much about your first gig? Did you obviously you were talking about the details of the sound, but can you remember? Did you feel nervous? Or? No, because we were so like young and daft. Like, it wasn't <laughs> like I didn't feel like, oh my god, this is like a gig. I think the first one that I actually felt nervous about was my friend Jack got me a gig at the reading rooms to warm up. And I remember driving through from Perth and I was like shaking because mm. it was the first time I'd played on like a big sound system in an actual nightclub. And because that was the first nightclub I'd heard dance music in, it was like quite a big deal. But I kind of laugh about it now. But at the time it was like a huge, a huge thing. So mm. that was the mm. first time I actually felt like really nervous to do something like that. Yeah, I bet. And uh, the parties that you've done at the Ice Factory then, mm -hmm. so you said that you were getting, this owner of the club was giving you guys mm -hmm. money to book guests. Like, what kind of guests were you booking at that age then? So being like, by that time, we had started driving through to Subculture on a Saturday night. So yeah. I think our taste had evolved quite a bit, just learning from Harry and Dominic. So we used to drive through on a Saturday night, take a couple of cars from Perth and we'd be like the first ones in and then just sit and watch them warm up and then we'd be like the last ones to leave. And then we'd just drive back through to Perth and then turn the turntables on and then they wouldn't get turned off until Sunday night again. Amazing. And it was just, we would do that, like we'd probably be through in Glasgow every second week. Um, so during those couple of years from maybe like late, maybe like 17 to, yeah, I think we must have been about 20 when those parties at the Ice Factory started. So maybe like two or three years of solidly going through to subculture. We all built up record collections. And then, yeah, the the, the first guest that we, well, we actually booked someone that never ended up playing because I was excited that we got all. So the club owners were used to 90s money, mm. which was like in the music industry in the 90s was there was so much money going about. So they were used to paying people like Tall Paul, um, 
judge duels like five, six, seven thousand pounds a gig. Yeah. And they were making that back because they were getting two thousand people. So we were like, well, what's the budget? And he was like, well, I can give you like 10 grand for your first party. So I'm like, yes, like, <laughs> let's do it. So I- 19 years old. Yeah, I don't know actually if he knows that it was me, um, but I emailed um, Gare Jansen's agent wow. at the time. This was when Gare Jansen was getting really big. And I was like, oh, we've like new party at the Ice Factory and we were like, we better offer him like something decent because it's our first party and like they might not want to come and play. So I was like, we can offer like seven and a half grand. <laughs> and obviously his agent replied within like 30 minutes and was like, <laughs> yes, like let's let's do this. Yeah. And then um we I like waited a couple of days and then I was like speaking to my mates and I was like, do you think like that's maybe a bit much? <laughs> and then I spoke to someone, I think it was one of the older boys from Dundee and I was like, we've offered him this. And he was like, are you, are you actually insane? <laughs> so then I ended up e emailing his agent back and being like, I just made something up. Like mm -hmm. we've had the night pulled from us or whatever. And he replied saying, Gerd is very upset. Uh... He's very angry. I was like, I, no shit. Like, I would be too. Um, so, the the first the first few parties were just residents only mm. um and then yeah so when we actually came to book someone the first guest was dominic wow from wow. subclub so yeah that was like i mean he he was him and harry were like our heroes growing mm. up and the like formative years of like seeing them the way that they dj'd at subculture so mm. had dominic and then um we did pay a lot of money to get Mark Farina. Mm. We had him, mm. we had Serge from Clone, mm. John Heckle. Um, I think we booked Orla for the first time. Mm. I think that was maybe one of our first Scottish gigs. Jane Fitz. Um, who else did we book? Jamie Trench. Mm. We had Jamie play a couple of times. Intergalactic Gary. Mm. And we've had, we had loads of people like, People that would, you wouldn't sell one ticket for any of those artists in Perth now, but at the yeah. time, because they, we used to do one guest, then one residence party, and mm. the residence parties were as busy as the guests because we were kind of at like a lucky stage where people just trusted that they would have a good time if they were going to come to Groovement, which was what the night was called. Uh -huh. um, so we ended up running it for like eight, eight nine years radioactive man as well that just popped up in my head we had keith tennis would come and play amazing um lns as well mm -hmm. i'm trying to think if there was i think did they have sort of fit no i don't think we had but it was just like really like actual djs who we were like we know that they're like really good at what they do mm -hmm. and we liked them so we only actually booked people that we liked it it was never a question of will this sell tickets because we knew that it'd be busy regardless of of who we had on that's a good place to be right that's yeah it was super lucky at the time i was we probably didn't realize how good we had it because now i'm like that is not not a thing at all anymore mm. no matter who you book you've got to like do social media posts and all that sort of stuff whereas at the time because that was all we knew we just took it for granted mm. i mean it's that uh, yeah that's almost unattainable for for a club night now yeah. it's so difficult at this point was this 
prior to social media. What sort of year was this? So this would have been 2009-ish, I think 2010. So Facebook had just became yeah. popular, really. Instagram wasn't really popular no, yet. No, we didn't use Instagram. We used to use Facebook, um, and then the events were quite big on that. Mm. We used to just design Mike, who I used to run Groovement with. He used to just design all the posters and mm. stuff like that. So it didn't really cost us an awful lot of money. Mm. But I know, I know now that the owners definitely made their money's worth because I think... The first night we must have had like five, six hundred people there. Wow. And I think we got like a hundred quid off the owners. Really? By the time we were <laughs> like, oh, we're just in it for the music. Like, it's fine. But then I was like, looking back, I was like, we did get yeah. screwed over. But yeah, yeah. It's just stuff that you learn as you go. It's a learning experience, right? And I mean, it, a good, it's a good place to be starting as well. You know, starting your DJ career, if you've got someone's trust and you're like that and they're willing to shell out that amount of money yeah. for you to book guests and. Sounds like an amazing, uh, like an amazing opportunity, amazing thing. So you've done it for eight or nine years. Yeah, yeah. So when we when we stopped, I, I was still doing groovement with Mark and Mike. Uh, so Mike Smith and Mark McKinnon until maybe like I was doing that alongside when we, when Max and I started Craigie Nows for mm. maybe a couple of years, and then it just got too much. And it was more difficult. We were struggling to pull in crowds because all of our crowd had kind of moved on mm. and either out of Perth or started to have settled down and not go out as much. So we kind of decided that we'll maybe just do one or two parties a year and then it's kind of just dissipated into mm. not not happening anymore. Mm. But it was just a natural end, really. Mm. It just kind of phased out naturally. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't like a... I follow or anything like no, that. No, no, not no, at all. no, no. I'm no. still really good friends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, good. You mentioned there uh, that you guys used to go down to sub club every second week, mm -hmm. um, and you would you got a lot of inspiration or learnt a lot of things from watching Harry and Dominic. Yeah, there really is no better DJs to be learning your trade mm -hmm. from from you know ex getting to experience that on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, and I think. Yeah, there's some there's some really good up and coming DJs coming through Glasgow at the moment, and I and I think that maybe as a testament to um, what's going on at Sub Club and the fact that you're actually able to go and see that every Saturday night, and I think uh, maybe in relation to what you were saying earlier on, you know, now that we're out of COVID and people like young people that are eighteen, nineteen can actually go out clubbing and stuff. If that's what's on offer, and that's your sort of if you're seeing that as like the standard on a weekly basis, then um, I'm sure that's probably having a part to play and like, you know, good young up and comers coming through Glasgow. But uh, both of those guys are probably my favorite DJs. They're definitely up there with like two of my favorite DJs, just just as you said. Uh, they're, they're like, yeah, I can't speak highly enough of either of them and the way that they were with me and the rest of us like coming up because I think being being from Perth or in fact if you're anywhere outside of Edinburgh and Glasgow like we probably do it as well to kind of even smaller towns in Perth you're like we just get branded a chukter or like yeah. they don't think that you understand what a like a mainstay of their culture in their city means to them and or basically like they, they don't think that you get it Yeah, but I think Harry and Dominic kind of saw that we actually were serious about music and that we we gave a shit like we really did care and we still do about music and it's not it's never been 
anything other than that. And I think they recognise that. And it's 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 been nice to now be, be friends with them yeah. and kind of give them, not that they would ever ask for anything back in return, but to, I hope it's good for them to be able to see what their inspiration has done to kind of young up and coming DJs in the city and in the country because without them I don't know if we would be in the position we are and it's not because they've actively went to try to do that all they've done is be good DJs and be good people mm. yeah definitely and have and yeah just have such a strong passion for music mm. and definitely um yeah they're great guys really uh really good guys good fun and um for anybody that's listening that's not had the chance to see them play, they're at Sub Club almost every Saturday. Every right? Saturday. Every, I think they've, I don't know if this is the, it's got to be close to be coming up 30 years. It this, might even be this year. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be around now, but, and what's good about it is they're both completely different as DJs as well. So mm. I think you can go to Subculture on a Saturday night and we would always try and pick out the residence nights over guests because we, we felt that that was, like the most fun and yeah. you got to see the biggest spectrum of interest in music as well. Definitely. I'm the same. I would, I would rather go and see, see those guys play. And I, I really love uh, Telford's stuff as well. I think he's an amazing DJ yeah. as well. All, all the, all, like you don't become a subculture resident if you're not a good DJ and same goes for, yeah, Telford and Stevie Cox as yeah, well. Definitely. Yeah. I've, I've caught Stevie Cox playing a couple of times and yeah, wicked, you're right. I mean, you don't, as you said, you don't get a residency there if you're not, if you're no. not top top notch, you know. Um so yeah, just to backpedal a little bit again, the name Craig and I was you mentioned there that then that you and Max started Craig and I, Craig and I was tell me about the name. So Craigie is an area that Max grew up in and I grew up just outside, but that was where we would always hang out. Uh-huh. And um the nose is a kind of rocky hill that we used to hang out on mm. and Max stayed on Craigie Nows Road. Mm. So that was the reason behind the name. It wasn't like anything more than that. Max previously ran another record label as well that used to press vinyl for mm. like three or four years. And he he came up with the idea and then I've just kind of been there throughout the whole process kind of helping as much as I can I'm not he's very good um with like business side of things and running a company whereas I'm horrendous with that sort of stuff I've got no interest in in it at all so I I think it's been a good a good match Mm. throughout the years you compliment each other yeah he's the yang to your yang or that's it (laughs) yeah so it's a record label you also do events as well mm-hmm. now under that uh, that banner, and then you DJ together the two mm-hmm. of you. Um, for a lot of people that are listening, they might actually not realise what's involved in running up running a record label or setting up a record label. But there might be some people that are listening that maybe have aspirations or would like to try and give it a bash themselves. So, could you maybe tell us a little bit about what's actually involved in that? I think nowadays it's probably as easy as a as it's ever been because you've got Bandcamp, so you can just set up your own page. And then if you want to press vinyl, there are quite a lot of of places that you can get like 300 records pressed. But we were, we were very lucky in the sense that Max had previous experience running a label. But I think the main thing is just be passionate about what you're doing. You need to kind of have 
a solid I would say now probably branding's quite important. Mm. You need to have a solid kind of brand and an ethos about the sound that you want to have. And then we were we were lucky in the sense that we got a P and D deal from Clone in Rotterdam. So they effectively paid for the records to be pressed and then we take a cut of it mm. because it allows you to if we've not got a lot of money so it allows us to press numerous records in a row mm. without having to fork out like 10 15000 pounds for all the outgoings and i think there's i know rubber dub do p and d deals so do um so the clone and then we're all we've recently moved away from clone and we're now um with uh one eyewitness in amsterdam as well mm. so there there's i think just speak to people that run record labels and get as much information as you want i think the good thing about this scene is people are generally pretty friendly and open to kind of giving advice or sharing their experiences so if anyone is interested in the ins and outs of it Business-wise, Max is definitely the <laughs> the best person to ask, um, especially with spreadsheets. But uh-huh. in terms of music, yeah, also speak just speak to artists that you're that you like. And again, we it's very seldom you come across someone that's an arsehole. Basically, mm. generally people are into music for the right reasons and they want to get their music out there to people mm. um, i think there's definitely still a place for labels although band camp's really important i think it takes a lot of the stress um out of if you're an artist and you want to just get your records pressed to vinyl i think a label is probably the best way to go rather than taking the risk of getting 300 records pressed and they're all sitting in your bedroom and you're mm. getting rid of them one by one and then you end up having to give away 150 of them for free just to try and yeah um get them out there yeah for sure i mean you were mentioning there about the, the pressing and distribution deal and, and uh vinyl pre- getting vinyl press is expensive right mm-hmm. so to land something like that's obviously pretty good but there are there's some p and d deals out there that i hear about that are maybe not actually that favorable and can kind of maybe leave people in a bit of a yeah, I, I think I, ha- I have heard instances of people not being paid the, the money that they're due. And I think that's where it, you definitely speak to people who are in the industry. Mm. Um, it goes the same with like booking people as DJs. We we always try to do a bit of research into the people that we're booking to make sure that they're like good people because that's important to us as well. Definitely. And we always... <sighs> Rightly or, I, I mean, it's not always nice to hear. Um, it's it's nice for us as a label to hear that artists will come to us and say, this has been the smoothest experience I've had with working with a label. And that I think it's important to pay them what they're due. And we always do do that. But it's also disappointing to hear that there are labels out there that don't do that. But I think you get, in all walks of life, you'll, do, you'll have people that do stuff a way that you think is right and people yeah. that don't but again i think dance music's generally filled with good people so yeah i think just yeah ask questions be be a sponge and ask as many questions as you can definitely i think um yeah there's there's obviously a lot of labels out there as well that are i mean i i was going to ask you about about vinyl because 
I, I run, um, I've got my own label, CB90 Dance Recordings. It's all digital, but I know from my experience running a label that it can also be something where you're just, it's almost like a bottomless pit of putting money in it. And there's a lot of labels that aren't actually getting that much money back. Um, but that's something that I wanted to ask you about was, do you think, what, what's your thoughts on labels that are only digital? And do you think it's important for dance music labels to be pressing vinyl as well? No, I think it's just, I think it's just a personal preference. Like mm. I like collecting records. I like playing records. I don't play it exclusively vinyl because I think there's like a time and a place for it. And you can't, like you'll probably know setups aren't amazing in every nightclub so if you were just to say i think nicholas lutz only plays vinyl like mm. he'll only go somewhere and play vinyl mm. um I, I like we can't be as picky as that unfortunately but i think it is just personal preference some people i i, I actually don't like vinyl only labels because i think that music should be accessible for everyone mm. so as much as I would love for everyone to be able to press vinyl, I know it's not a reality or something that's available to everyone. Um, so I think if it's digital only, at the end of the day, I think if the music's good, it's good. And I would yeah. buy it regardless. I would prefer to buy it on vinyl. But at the same time, I'm, I don't want to buy, I don't want to spend £18 on a record for four tracks on it and there's one track that I like. Yeah. So I think that's where there's room for for both. Yeah, definitely. That's it. It can be an expensive hobby buying records as well, right? And I mean, we've all done it. We've bought a record and it's for one track and like there's maybe like four or five other tracks on it that you've never you've yeah. never played, you know? But yeah, it's definitely, there's a lot of, we've spoken about vinyl quite a bit on the podcast, spoke about it a fair bit with Bays and Yogi Hotton and stuff. And there's, yeah, I think there's, if you love something, it's it's great to have the record, but um, it's a there's a lot involved. Like there's a, there's a lot of arguments for and against uh, playing and collecting and pressing and and yeah. I I just find it more fun playing vinyl. I I I like the way that it feels. I like having I like having something to do, and I feel like there is like I think you can learn to play on CDJs probably within like a week. Mm. Whereas I spent like six months with a headache trying to work out how to <laughs> mix vinyl. And it is something that you don't forget once you learn how to do. Mm. But I think it's something that if you watch someone who can mix vinyl really well, it's a lot more enjoyable than just watching someone mix on CDJs because you can see the process actually happening mm. in their head. And I think it is, it's more difficult to do because you've not got screens, you don't know... Um, you don't know what key it's in. Mm. You don't know what the BPM is. So I think for me, it's just my preference, but I, I would never turn my nose up at someone even playing on like a controller. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just not what I would personally do, but I've I've seen amazing sets from people on controllers as well. Mm -hmm. Again, for some people, some people listening, um, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of DJs listening as well, but for some people listening, they might not actually really fully understand what's involved in, in DJing. Some people might think that you are just jumping behind a set of decks, pressing a few buttons. Some people might understand the concept of mixing two tracks together, but they might think that really that's that's all that's involved. Whereas you and I, you and I both know differently that there's a lot more involved 
and playing a DJ set to a dance floor crowd of people. So could you maybe speak to us a little bit about your thoughts on the art of, of DJM? Yeah, I think everything that, well, the majority of stuff that we learned was off of Harry and Dominic. So we would go in on a, on a Saturday night and we'd, like I said, we were the first people in there and you would see them take it from like ambient stuff all the way up to, and they don't, they, neither of them ever really play very fast either. It'll maybe max out at like 126, 128 BPM. But I think f for me, I'm finding, well, personally, um, over the past couple of years, I'd, I've definitely been caught up. Me and Max both have, I've probably, playing slightly quicker with that kind of proggy sound that we've released on the label. I think kind of rising up to like 135 to 140 BPM, but over the past kind of 18 months, I've found myself particularly going slower and slower and back to what I know and what I was kind of into for the kind of 10 years prior to what we've been playing recently. And it's not to say that the stuff that we've been playing, I, do, I don't like it. That's not the case at all. It's just that I think the older that I'm getting and the more sure of myself I am as a DJ, I think I'm more comfortable with playing slightly slower stuff. And I think as well, it's actually easier for people who aren't accustomed to dance music to come in and dance all night. Because mm. if I wasn't, I know, in the early days, if I went into a club and it was 150 BPM from 11 o'clock, I'd be tired and bored by midnight. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think it's definitely, um, the, for instance, the other week, um, Max was away. So I ended up playing Lucita for myself for four hours. And we, I think by the end of the night, it was only until the last 20 minutes it went above 126 BPM, mm. but the dance floor was full all night and people weren't exhausted or they weren't leaving halfway through the night to get a break because it was kind of a gradual buildup. And there's obviously a place for the faster stuff. And again, I would never turn my nose up at it, but I just think for me personally, that kind of like dark like malevolent sounding stuff is a lot more suited to me in the way that I would play. So I think DJing, it's, it's such a personal thing. It's like cooking for someone. It's kind of you're, you're communicating with them without speaking. And the way that I do that is probably at a slightly slower pace now than it has been over the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a... Uh there's definitely something really satisfying about starting off the night if you're opening and closing like you said you played at the cheetah the other week four hours and starting off at a really slow pace and maybe ambient like you were saying harry and dominic were, were, uh, were doing and and building it up and just building i like to build the energy up as mm -hmm. well gradually and i think there's something in that almost taking it sounds cliche and cheesy but like taking the crowd on a journey it is, yeah. it is but it's, it's like again like it's like cooking for someone or like actually cooking you wouldn't put like you have to preheat if say you're cooking a pizza you're not going to chuck it in without preheating the oven do exactly. you know what i mean it's like yeah. why would you or it's like if you you want to eat something it's like you're not just going to have a meal all full of like chili peppers because there's no there's 
there's no interest or enjoyment in that. It's like there has to be layers of different things within the night. And again, and like you said, journey is a like is a kind of cliche word, but it is right. It's like if you again or like if you read a book, you don't mm. want it just to be one pace the whole night. You want it to have like it's part of an adventure. You want to have bits where it's more interesting or there's bits where it'll like break pace yeah. and then it'll pick back up again and then there'll be like a crescendo. And I think as well, the, there was a study done where people, if you listen to your favorite song, you will get more enjoyment out of that song if it gets paused for five seconds and then you start listening to it again. Mm. So I think there was something like a 33% rise in enjoyment. If that song, it didn't matter what happened in those five seconds, but if that paused and then started again, and I think there's definitely something to be said in that for DJing because you don't want to just go one pace the whole time because you'll tire people or you'll bore them, even if it's subconsciously. Mm -hmm. It's the same with sound systems. If the sound system's not quite right, punters in the crowd will be hammered, but subconsciously it'll keep they'll keep less interest because the actual quality isn't there and it's not going to keep their interest as long. Definitely. Yeah, there's so, there's so much science in the sound, isn't there? And uh, the, the different frequencies and stuff and how it resonates with your body mm -hmm. in, in like a physical way. I don't know the ins and outs of it. I um, I went to a, it was like a workshop once um, with a sound guy and he was talking about it and uh, it was really interesting. There's, there's definitely something in that. Um, when, so when you're playing then, how much of the track selection is about what you want to hear versus what the crowd wants to hear. I think at the start of everyone DJing, it's probably all about what you want to hear. Mm -hmm. And then I think over the, I think, well, it'll be pretty much 15 years DJing uh, in 2024 and playing out. And I think it will be, I think you get to the stage where you, you maybe don't, but you think you know what they want to hear rather than what you want to hear. And I, th I think it'll, it gets to the stage where you feel comfortable with knowing what is right for the next track. Mm. For instance, the other, the other week, because I was playing on my own, I had two turntables and two CDJs. So I had time to say, right, that goes with that. And then I know the next. I know what the next two moves are going to be because mm -hmm. you know which records you've got relationships with your records. Do you know what I mean? It's you know what goes with what, and I think you just it's, it's just something that you get used to. The more you do it, it's, it's like anything. You the more practice that you have, the better you'll get at it. And I think you can you can't be completely selfish when you're DJing because it's about the main thing is making sure that people are dancing and having a good time. So you might have something in your head that you really want to play, but there's been loads of times where I've queued something up and I'm like, I really want to hear this on the sound system, but for whatever reason, there's there, there might not be a time in the night where it's right to play it. And I think that's important to find those moments and pick the right track. But I, again, like I said, you know, it's just, it's just practice. But I, I think if I really think about it, it's 
probably a mix of both mm. because people come to see you because they trust your taste in music. So it has to be a bit of what you want to hear, but also um, try and play to the crowd a bit as well. Yeah, definitely. I feel like you're almost walking a tightrope a little bit. Well, that's how I feel about it anyway. That's that's my relationship to it. But um, yeah, you might, you might have an idea in your head of what you want to play, but at the same time, the crowd are, they're just there for a good time as well. I mean, there's, there's obviously people who are, there's levels to how much people are into the music or are nerdy about the music. Yeah, I think no, it de and depends where you are. and Depends where you are as well. And uh, like you said, you have a relationship with your records and maybe it's like a, a chit, like an advanced chess player who's thinking like three, four moves ahead. Like you could maybe, you think you're, you know how you're going to join the dots to like, I'm going to play this tonight. And you're, you're maybe thinking three or four tracks ahead, but but and it, it doesn't always work either. There's been times where I'm like, I'm going to play this track, it's going to sound amazing, and then it's like empties the dance floor. <laughs> like it, it still happens now where I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm going to play this really interesting track, and people will be like, oh, wow, I've like never heard anything like that before. And then like Max will look at me and be like, like <laughs> where the fuck did that come from? Um, so it still happens, like yeah. not, not perfect, but I think you definitely you definitely lessen the, the gaffes as it, as it goes along yeah definitely so how do you then prepare accordingly because you're obviously pretty busy, busy with touring and stuff you're playing at a variety of different venues different places i mean i mentioned there that there's i feel like there's levels to how much people are actually into the music and i think from playing in places like berlin i feel like playing and playing in berlin the crowd are so much more in tune with what mm -hmm. you're doing or maybe even like playing in london playing in glasgow but um, so there's there's definitely for me I think there's there's um, there's things you could get away with more in some clubs in some cities than you could uh, in others. But I wanted to ask you how do you prepare differently then for each set playing at different venues? What is there that you need to take into account? I I think you're spot on in terms of you can get away with more in cities like Berlin. You can probably get away with playing like off kilter kind of weird stuff for maybe 20 minutes half an hour and it won't empty the dance floor because one you're probably playing there for four or five hours so people know that you are you're going to be there and it's not going to be one dimensional the whole time and it's just it's part of that culture is that you're going to be really into your dance music so i think people are probably a little bit more open to that sort of stuff whereas we would still, we wouldn't probably stray too far in terms of the standard stuff that we play. But I think you, it's like everything, you go through phases. Mm. And I think you, for instance, Bristol, you can literally play anything. You can play like breaks, acid, all in like the space of an hour. And people just stay there because it's such a diverse musical city. And then if you're, say we're playing in Manchester, we might go like a little bit more techie because that is, we might be wrong, but that's kind of, each city is kind of, I feel has got like an individual personality. And although we will play stuff that is kind of quintessentially us, we'll, there'll be kind of like little bits added to it that'll kind of like, a little nod to the city basically through like sprinkled throughout the set that's really cool do you 
other than the, the geographical location of, of where you're playing, are there things that you take into consideration, like the size of the room, mm-hmm. um, like the size of the crowd? Like, I feel like there's some tracks where I know this is going to work well in a big room, but maybe it's got too much of an epic breakdown mm-hmm. and like kind of slows the pace down too much for a small uh, small room, like the main room in Cabaret Voltaire or mm-hmm. Sticky Pete's or something like that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I think there's been occasion and again it's just like a learning process like working out what works in different sized rooms but there's definitely a thought to that luckily we get to play rooms that are maybe like three to six hundred capacity all the time which is our favorite sort of stuff to play but if we are going to play in something that's like say for instance we went and played at um like a listening bar in Barcelona and I think it was like a 45 people capacity Mm -hmm. but the sound was really good but then you know and it was invite only so you knew that like the people that were there you could play really interesting stuff that kind of fitted with a smaller room and then if we were going to play like in a big room in Berlin we would maybe play stuff that's you could probably get away with more in bigger rooms i would say because Mm. you're kind of a little bit more removed from from the crowd so they're kind of going they're kind of feeding off you as much as with a smaller room i'd probably pay more attention to to individuals and kind of looking around different groups of people to work out where to go yeah i think you're right there i think that's spot on i think um yeah i I almost wonder though also if, if the room is really big like a print works mm-hmm. for example i almost kind of think does that start to reverse in a way i think like when you play in a big room like a 2000 capacity room you can maybe get away with stuff that's like that's epic and there's that many people there that the atmosphere is kind of contained like there's there's an there's energy in the room anyway but but i, I think i wonder what it would be like to play somewhere like print works or like the drum sheds or something do you i think we would definitely go more towards kind of techno if that was because i think that there's a reason techno clubs are generally bigger than house music clubs because it carries well in a bigger space Mm. for instance like rso in berlin Mm. is incredible and their main room is predominantly techno because it's it's such a big cavernous room it works Mm. um so obviously we've been speaking a fair bit about djn i can see online that you guys have had a really busy touring schedule um certainly over the last year or, or so more than that so what's life like then as a busy touring dj um it's it is relentless like max and i both still have full-time jobs as well so having that as well as playing at weekends is is pretty tough it's it's definitely not um glamorous like people say that it is <laughs> especially at the level that we do you know it's it's not like we're playing massive like arenas with like two thousand three thousand people it's like generally three to six hundred capacity crowds and it's it's people like us that we're playing for as well it's not kind of brands or anything like that so it is it like if you don't love it, then I don't get into it because it is relentless, and you don't actually. If you're also into collecting vinyl, it's like you you spend the same amount of money on records for a set that you get paid for doing the set. You know, it's not yeah. it's not like a money maker, and it's not something that is I would say is glamorous in any way. And 
the Max and I have both been spoiled because we get to do it together. I think it'd be very, very tough and difficult doing it on your own. I was speaking to Theo about it actually, mm-hmm. and he was like, yeah, it is, it is difficult. And I think that's why he's enjoyed doing back-to-backs with people more recently. I know he's still really busy doing it on his own, but yeah, I think it must be, I've not had that experience of, I've we've had a couple of gigs on our own in Europe and stuff like that, but I think it's, it can be tough. I've got a daughter as well, so mm. I don't want to miss her growing up. So I think this year was kind of, we just went all out because we had the opportunities to do it. But I think next year we'll maybe be a little bit more selective if mm. if we can with gigs, because I don't want to miss my daughter growing up. And I know that I'll always be into music, so I can kind of dip in and out whenever I please. I'll still collect records and spend all my money on vinyl, but yeah. I think the the touring DJ thing is something going back to Harry and Dominic, Dominic was like, I've got the best job in the world. Like I've get to play in sub club every week and they don't have to tour very often. And when I was like 21, I'd be like, nah, touring's, mm. touring's the best. And it is amazing because you get to meet people all over the world and play in interesting clubs. But I also see now that I'm a bit older, why mm. they do have the, the best job in the world yeah definitely i think yeah maybe when you're younger the idea that sounds sounds great but in your position when you've got your daughter and if you're working full time as well then i suppose the weekends are kind of time that you would be spending family time and Mm -hmm. and stuff yeah i I mean without having like a very supportive wife then it wouldn't be it wouldn't be possible and I i think as well it's it's something that it rather than just like us doing it selfishly you need to have that support around you if you're going to continue to have like a full-time job mm. and have other interests as well definitely are there any uh are there any particular places that you've had the chance of visiting that you would consider to be a favorite or any highlights that um, you'd like to share we had an amazing like we did like a mini tour of poland a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and i had no idea what to expect we got uh we played in poznan um somewhere else and then we were playing in a place called Bilostok which Mm. is on the Belarusian border wow Um, wow wow so we played in Poznan and we played in um we were staying opposite Hitler's old palace in Poznan and then we played in a old Nazi bomb shelter wow (laughs) so it was like it was like 15 foot underground the walls were like five foot thick and the Soviets had when they started taking control of Poznan, they then started using this, uh, what's well, now a nightclub, obviously, but they started using it as like a communications hub. So in the green room, there's all this old Soviet communication equipment that's too heavy to lift back out. <laughs> so it was just like, you just end up in crazy places like that. Yeah. Um, but the people, people in Poznan, it's quite like a forward thinking left-wing city, which is cool. And they'd warned us against Billistock, like saying that it was really right wing. It was really old fashioned. And uh, I think there was like a huge right wing like militia group that come out of there. And we got like a nine hour, nine hour train journey from Poznan to Billistock. And um, we actually didn't have any um, currency on us either. And they didn't have a, 
they didn't have a card machine, so we went nine hours without any food and drinks. <laughs> and I was just like, by the time we got there, I was like, all our lips are like stuck to our teeth. And it was like minus 12 when we, we got there. There was people like in horse and carts, and then they were saying that you can like look out for tanks because there's obviously loads of shit happening between Belarus and um, the neighboring countries. But the guy met us and that was like one of the best gigs we've ever played. That was also in like an old bomb shelter. And there was this little kind of community of people that hand built this nightclub. They hand built the sound system, the shape of the room. And it was like one of the best nights I've ever played. And there was, there's maybe like a community of 300 of them that wow. like run a fit. The, the main guy who runs a festival and is like a sound engineer, they like built this nightclub and it's a, it's a place that's probably even smaller than Perth. Yeah. And this nightclub, I think it's actually unfortunately closed down now, but it was full for maybe like six or seven years. And I mean, the general population in that town wouldn't even know that it existed um, amongst the kind of old fashioned Polish um, general public and then you've got this little kind of like subculture of people that live in this town who are just really into dance music but they're hundreds of miles away from like the main the main cities and that doing stuff like that was more fun than kind of and more interesting than going to places like Berlin I would say so Poland's probably like one of the highlights and I'm trying to think anywhere else. Newcastle in Australia was really cool as well. And that was similar. It was just like a smaller town than other places that we played when we were over there. But it was just like a really good crowd that were super into it. That's amazing. Amazing that you've had the opportunity to travel to places like this that you would have probably, you would have never seen. No. Um, I mean, like you said, you meet up like so many interesting people along the way. Obviously you meet a lot of like-minded individuals because you're interested in the same stuff, but the fact that you've been able to do what you love, your, your passion, and it's taking you to these different parts of the world. Yeah, and, for sure. And that sounds incredible to experience uh, like a venue like that and that kind of thing. I suppose people, people that are kind of aspiring to get to that level touring and stuff they probably think like oh i want to play like panorama bar and dc10 and um but maybe doing something like that like you're getting a way more like personal individual experience and like really i, I suppose you maybe get to get to know these people to a certain level as well if you're did you spend a lot of time with them when you were there or, yeah so yeah. You basically yeah we always try and as long as they're not trying to get you to go back to their flat and get on it with them for like two days, like <laughs> yeah. we'll happily spend time with people yeah. and, and try and like eat local food, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And yeah, it was just like really nice to get an insight into a culture and a people that we would probably never actually come across in our daily lives. Even if we were going out as punters, it wouldn't be something that I wouldn't be like, let's go to the Belarusian border for a night out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> definitely not. Um, so what's life like for you outside of music then? You mentioned there that you, you work full time as well, but I know that you are a keen runner because I'm seeing your times on Strava when you're mm -hmm. sharing them on Instagram, pretty rapid on the... I, I wouldn't say keen. I, ha I have to do it for football. So I, I play football mm -hmm. um, still. I'm still trying to flog that dead horse. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've actually like had like a really, really 
weird running style for years and then over the like i got quite a lot of bad injuries down like the right hand side like my knee ankle and hip mm. so i just like changed loads of stuff with like my running style over the past couple of years and then um i actually don't i used to hate running but now i don't don't mind it so yeah i need it to be a little Right in the middle of the park, basically. Which position do you play? Centre midfield. Centre midfield, yeah. okay. Okay, who do you play for? Schoon Thistle, so we're like a semi-professional team. Yep. And we play in the Midlands League. So if you win our league, you go into the Highland League and then the Highland League plays off of the Lowland League and then the winners of that go into League Two. So we are in the pyramid system, but I think there's 20 teams in our league and we've probably got the smallest budget, so... Mm -hmm. um, no, it's good. I like it. It keeps me, like, if I don't exercise, that's when my mental health, like, I notice a big difference in my mental health. So mm. it's more like a, a therapy thing for me mm. as opposed to, um, like, a, a vanity thing. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, definitely. I mean, I mean, I'm the same as you, man. Exercise is it's really important for me as well for my mental health. I feel like if, I mean, to be honest, the last couple of weeks, I've not actually managed to get in as much as I would normally do it, but I can feel that it kind of has an effect um, on my mental health. And I actually, I spoke about it on the last podcast that I'd done with uh, with Ruri, uh, just saying how I really feel like it kind of, exercising regularly just has a positive effect on my personal and professional life as well. I feel like my brain just has more energy. It's like, um, I'm able to think more clearly and, um not as grumpy and crabbit and a hundred percent i think it's actually i used to be frowned upon even when we were growing up that it was like oh you like you look after yourself like you must be i don't know there was just like it wasn't cool to kind of take care of your mental health or your physical health as well and i think mm. it's been quite nice over the past few years where i think it's it's become common knowledge that you do need to do all this stuff to mm. be able to perform your best, whether that's like physically or if you're DJing or if you're just at work and the dance music community is, I think it's still quite difficult to remain healthy, especially people that do it full time. I've got friends that do it full time and I, I do worry for them at mm. points because you are kind of running in the red all the time and it's going to have an effect at some point. It might not be now, but it might be in like 10, 20, 30 years down the line. So totally. education's like a big thing on that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even aside from the sort of party inside of it, obviously, you know, we all like a party and there's a lot of people out there that are probably DJing on a professional basis that, that will kick the arse out of it. But like that aside, even just like the touring, like the, the traveling, like the late nights, the lack of sleep, um, if you're if you're spending your weekdays like locked in a studio it's quite it's quite a lonely profession as well like i think speaking to uh to like close friends of mine that are doing it on a, uh, more of like a full-time level and stuff as well um i do think that it's, it's pretty common that it can have a, a negative impact on your on your mental health right even yeah. without the party and 100 percent. yeah and and phys your physical health as well i mean i i don't know about you but i am um, i get quite bad tinnitus um, it kind of flares up and uh, depending on like how much I've been DJing and what my lifestyle is like at the time and stuff. But I do sometimes stress about my ears. Like mm -hmm. I, I know that they're damaged. I know that my hearing's not as good as it as it was. Mm -hmm. um, so like that side of it as well, you know. I, I actually went and got my ears tested a couple of weeks ago and 
surprisingly the guy was like you're pretty much bang on really? for your age but he was like that because you're in nightclubs he was like you're gonna have quite a steep drop off when you get to like 50 60 he was like they will be more damaged than other people your age just now but you're just not like you don't feel it because you're the age that you are he was like hearing's the type of thing that it, it, everyone's will f like start to deteriorate but the damage that you do to them now will it it's basically a bigger cliff that you're going to jump off rather than a, a shorter one wow that's why you hear that I but then <laughs> I, i've like i've got the i've got the thing in my head on like medicine's getting better all the time they'll be like well i think that as well I I actually saw something online recently that there um, that there are, it seems like there are some breakthroughs happening and obviously AI is now becoming such a big thing that I think, I, I feel like technology is moving at such a fast rate that there will be something where it's a little bit more reversible. I live in, I'm living in hope anyway. Yeah, I know. I'm living in hope. Stem cells and stuff like that <laughs> becoming it. big. Like I'll be getting stem cells injected yeah. into my cochlear <laughs> <laughs> and in my inner ear or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, I wear, I wear uh, earplugs most of the time that I'm in the club that I'm not actually mixing. I used to wear them when I was mixing as well. I had, um, I had like the ACS Pro ones. Mm -hmm. That's I'm sure that's the name of the brand, but years ago I was DJing in Berlin and um, we were all at a bar drinking afterwards and uh, and something happened in the bar. It was so weird. I was with a group of friends and um, I went to the toilet and when I was in the toilet, it was quite, it was just like a, a dingy wee sort of pub. It wasn't like a cool, like trendy bar in Berlin or whatever. It was just like a dingy wee pub. When I went to the toilet, a guy ran in the bar with a sword and attacked another guy. There was like a group of guys sat, sat at a table behind us and it was us sat at one table and them sat at another table basically the whole the whole time we were there. And a guy ran in with a sword and attacked one of those other guys. And in the kerfuffle, my friends all like evacuated the bar and um, my backpack was left sitting at the table and my backpack got nicked. And I had, I had my custom molded ACS uh earplugs and then but i've never got the like the custom made ones since then i've always mm -hmm. just had like the cheaper versions of them were they in your ears well no they were all right they i were thought you the, hadn't heard nah, the guy nah, with a sword coming in nah, I, <laughs> I, mate i'm not gonna lie i was pretty pissed i never I had yeah. no clue i came i came back out there was blood all over the walls and um my, my mate Neil actually Neil Flynn I need to give a shout out to he he ran into the toilet he was like you need to get out of here wow. it came out there was blood all over the walls and everything and uh, then I was like we were, all, we were all outside and I was like where's my bag where's my bag and I went back in and the bag was gone but um, yeah you're not going to hunt a guy with a sword down nah, nah but I've kind of veered off track a wee bit here basically I should get the custom ones again because I feel like I feel like to an extent I don't know I, I used to wear them when I was mixing as well but then I felt like it was, you couldn't trust how loud things were in the club. Do you know what I mean? Like you didn't- Yeah, I find it difficult for especially, I think high end it's fine, but like yeah. mid and low, I, I really struggled. I did try a couple of times, but yeah. I'm just like, if I'm DJing, I just, want to, I just want to hear this as loud as possible. Totally. To yeah, yeah. It's like when you bring, when you bring a track in you for me, I'm like, oh, like is that, is that going tonto right now? Mm. I can't really tell because I've got the, I've got the earplugs in. So now I really just I put them in when I'm not mixing, and then I keep them in, and then I just try and not have my ears exposed to the noise as much as possible. Last time I got my ears checked, the guy said to me, "You're we we would think that your ears we would have thought that your hearing would be better than it 
is for your age basically so mm-hmm. when you're telling me there's going to be a cliff a cliff drop at 50 i'm, I'm definitely going to have a maybe not and, by then no. like hopefully yeah. i've i've got every faith that they'll yeah same. Might just get new years <laughs> brand new year. yeah same same uh so next question i'm actually going to quote you here what does it mean to be a long suffering heavy um I think like football wise, I think actually I wouldn't support any other team because it's given me a sense of humour and I think it it's important, especially if you're Scottish, to be able to laugh at yourself. And I think that's even more uh, prevalent if you're a Hibs fan because there's um yeah, there's that famous saying as Hibs that isn't it so <laughs> i think it's just you you know you know you can't choose who you support it's your parents or an older sibling or someone that you look up to will pick that team for you generally um, i don't know if it's still the same anymore a few of my friends who've got slightly older kids they seem to support three or four different they kind of support players more than mm-hmm. um more than teams now but Mm. yeah i think i'm just used to um used to being excited and then getting let let down almost instantly after the excitement peaks yeah it's character building yeah that's what it is (laughs) it's character building yeah i wouldn't have it any other way yeah yeah i think you're right in what you're saying there as well it's important to be able to have a laugh at yourself i think that's something that um scottish people do really well it's the we've got a good sense of humor and the ability the ability to be shot on from a very high height and yeah, find it funny i think it's it's quite funny especially because i travel with max all the time the way that we speak to each other if you're in even like london for instance if it's um if you're playing parties for people who are maybe from a slightly higher standing in society and uh, they see the way that you speak to each other they're like <laughs> are, they, are they about to start fighting with each other and you're like no it's like endearment yeah definitely yeah like me uh messaging yesterday saying tell bays i said he's a serpent i know i actually forgot to tell him as well but i'll I'll text them when we leave yeah yeah text them when you leave i um so do you go you go a lot of the games then no because i'm still playing football um Ah. because i'm still playing football I, i don't get the opportunity and um Again, with like DJing, like the team that I'm playing for have been like super understanding mm. that I'm not going to be there mm. all the time because it is a big commitment. Um, and um, yeah, my wife won't mind me saying that the I've got her full support when it comes to music, but um, it's the opposite when it comes to football. Yeah. Like, Why would you go and do something that when you come, you can't get out of bed on a sunday morning after playing and then you're covered in like cuts and bruises <laughs> on a saturday night yeah. after it but i'm just like i think if you're into football it's just like it's something that you, you I've, I've i think i've retired twice and after about six months i'm just like just climbing the walls yeah um but no i think i'll probably i'd like to take my daughter to some games when she's a bit older um maybe when the weather's a bit a bit better as well but she's two and a half now so i think she's um then my dad took me to my first edinburgh derby when i was like three weeks old wow so, wow. <laughs> uh, she's uh she's starting a little bit later but she seems to like football yeah so cool hopefully she's hopefully she's gonna be gonna be into it yeah nice i'm not gonna be one of those pushy parents i don't think <laughs> i say that now yeah 
soccer mum. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so what's what's the plans for the future then? Obviously, we're we're missing Max today. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had mentioned to me off camera that you may be starting some solo stuff as well. Yeah, is that I, right? I, I've got a, a gig in on New Year's Eve, which is like a little basement kind of venue in Perth, which I'm playing for a couple of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to... I've been saying this for like six or seven years, but I, one of my friends, Mike, who I used to run Groovement with, he's a really good producer. He's done stuff as um, Eli and Crossover Network, so he's had releases on some really good labels. Mm-hmm. We've been talking for ages about getting in the studio and kind of fanning around and seeing if we can come up with stuff. So I'm going to do that with him. Um, but I think... Yeah, predominantly I'll still be creaking out stuff because mm. that's um, that's what I love doing and I, I get to spend time with my best mate doing it. So mm. I, I think maybe if we're doing slightly, if we're being slightly more picky with our creaking out gigs, it might free up some time to do kind of bar gigs or like some smaller gigs yeah. locally, which I like doing as well because although we're, there's quite a good synergy between us when we DJ, mm. it's always nice to like play on your own as well. And he's probably the same. You get to kind of go in a different direction. Yeah, definitely. Have you done any messing around in the studio so far yourself? Or have you yes. Been- so I did um, I did a course with Simon Stokes at his studio, which oh, was amazing. Yeah. And I have noodled around with push and stuff like that but I, I think it's something again because we've been so busy with the label and gigs and then everything else that's we've not had the time to fully commit to it and I always feel that we get sent music from such amazing producers that it would be selfish for us to start putting out our own music that one we don't have the talent of other artists that send us stuff and two we don't have the time mm. um, to to fully commit to production, but it's definitely something that I'm keen to do, but I don't want, I don't want to rush it. I've not, we've not rushed anything in the past and it seems to have worked out right. So I, I don't want to get to the stage where I'm just putting out music for the sake of it. We did release one, one record. Well, we did a track on a compilation that we did years ago, which was like a, like an acid, like kind of slow electro track and that was really fun to make but again max is a lot better on ableton than i am so i I think i'd like to get to the stage where i'm comfortable Mm. doing it on my own i can make i can use ableton but again it's just like i said with djing it's you know it's practice and i've not put enough practice into warrant getting releases and stuff like that so Mm. i think it's something that will come eventually but i'm i'm in no rush with the label obviously you mentioned there that you get a lot of amazing music sent to you by um by different artists and stuff it's obviously it's great that you're you're in that position where the music's coming to you but um i suppose when you started out was there a was there a specific sound that you were looking for or was there do you guys are you really looking to try and identify um or have an identity musically with the with the label or no, I think there is kind of a general sound to what we do. And I think there's definitely influences from Detroit, although it's not really a Detroit sounding label, but there there are influences from that because that's where we kind of, that's our favourite stuff is the stuff that comes out of there or has come out of there. But 
in regards to the sound, not not really. We didn't like pick a genre and say we're going to be like a electro label. Mm. And magazines and stuff have tried to pigeonhole us in the past. Mm. And I mean, that's just what happens. Everyone wants to kind of put someone in a box, but mm. we just release stuff that we like. Like the the one that um, is coming out soon, the Pascal Project one, is almost like a it's like a pop record. Mm. But not pop in the sense of um, kind of what it is now. It's kind of like a 90s pop record with the kind of house backing track, but then like kind of floaty vocals over the top of it. So we're not really, <clears throat> we're not precious about the stuff that we release. As long as we like it, then we'll put it out. But I think that there is like an overall sound that, um, that we have, but I, I couldn't, sum it up in words it's mm. just kind of a way that music makes us feel and then mm. we'll put it out couldn't pinpoint it really yeah um but is there a, a something else i actually wanted to ask you was then is there a difference in the criteria that you're looking for with the music that you're looking for for your dj sets or is there yeah 100 percent. There so is? there's there's stuff that i would play and DJ sets that I love, but I would I wouldn't sign it because I I don't think I think that's maybe too far removed from what we mm. do, and it doesn't mean that I don't love it like I do, but I think there has to be some form of consistency. But what that is, I can explain. Mm. Um, but there's just a, a sound that I think now we're we're comfortable with, and there's elements of tracks that I think you get to the stage where you you only have to listen to something for 10 seconds to figure out whether you like it or not because mm -hmm. you've listened to that much music and then you maybe only need to listen to it a couple of times to work out whether you're gonna go and try and get it for the label or not mm -hmm. but no i wouldn't i wouldn't say there's there's a whole there's a whole much difference in the stuff that we play and the stuff that we put out but there, there's definitely some tracks that we play in DJ sets that just wouldn't, they would sound, we probably wouldn't do them justice if we were to sign them on the label. I think they're probably better suited to other, mm. other labels. And there has been stuff that we've turned down that we really, really like. But then if we know that they've approached other labels that would probably suit better, we would, because we want the best for the artist at the end of the day, we would say maybe you're better suited off going with them for this one because you'd probably get a better response for the crowd that you're trying to trying to go towards. That's really cool. It's admirable as well, yeah. And for, I mean, for me, from an outsider pers outsider's perspective, sorry, looking at you guys and what, what the label's doing just now, I'd say it's probably one of the hottest um, underground dance labels in the UK at the moment. So what do you think has been the key to the success? Max, <laughs> no, j just um, just generally having having a love for like dance music. Mm -hmm. Like I, I think electronic music, especially the for Max might have a different answer, but I think for me, I like I like not not necessarily. You know how people will say, "Oh, I feel like the music's." um talking to me mm. i think for me it's more i know what that person's feeling without any words being described like it'll make me feel a certain way and often that is kind of that malevolent darker kind of scary sounding stuff but it's also got like 
a bit of it's, it's basically kind of like black soulful music but so it's got mm -hmm. funk to it but it's not there's no words effectively it's like i hate it in movies when they there's clearly a bad person but then like there'll be a line in the movie where they say and you've been bad for 20 years it's like i know that like you don't <laughs> have to explain it to me or in like country music they they specifically outline what they're singing about whereas the thing that i like about electronic music is they don't need words to do that mm. they can make you feel a certain way or, or you can understand how they feel without any words being exchanged and i like that as opposed to the kind of clear and obvious mm. kind of just straight down the barrel stuff I, I find it more interesting when you can kind of make little stories up in your own head rather than being told what to told what to think that's really cool, man. It's an interesting take on that. I've never really heard someone describe it in that way, but I mean, I can certainly relate to, you know, feeling the energy from a track and there's tracks that are just pure 100% evil mm -hmm. and there's yeah. tracks that there's no words in them, but yeah. it's evil. Yeah, it's yeah. like acid and breaksy and like really dark. And I mean, to be honest, like a lot of the music that I've made myself is like pretty dark and stuff, but then you get tracks that are euphoric and mm -hmm. like the chord change is like oh it's almost like um like you play something like that at the end of the night and it's like reflective on the experience mm -hmm. that you've had you know like there's there's no doubt that you can tell a story um with music really without the lyrics being involved and i suppose yeah. with the djing as well you know you can like we were saying earlier on take the crowd on a journey you can kind of tell a story throughout yeah. the night and that th that's that's maybe one slight gripe that i've got with people calling like this new tiktok techno is like hard dance and mm. i'm like it's not hard no. like there's <laughs> there's tracks that are like i've seen andrew weatherall play the whole night at sub club at 116 bpm and mm. people are punching holes in the fucking roof do you know what i mean yes or yeah. like old robert armani tracks that are maybe like 125 bpm but they hit way harder than the stuff that's totally like 150 bpm definitely so like like speed isn't a good gauge of how hard or how um striking something is it's about like if it's got like a funk and a groove to it and that doesn't necessarily mean in like the disco sense it's like some it's got swing to it basically i couldn't agree with you more i mean uh yeah some of the some of the stuff the chuggy sort of stuff sounding stuff like really hard punchy evil mm -hmm. and some of this tiktok dance music stuff it's like sped up it'll be like a, a a sample of like i don't know barbie girl or something and like sped up like there's nothing yeah there's that, nothing hard about it yeah and i think the whole thing with um again i don't want to sound like i, I would never I don't want to come across like I'm bad mouthing no, stuff no, because no. again, it probably it's there's a reason it's become popular, yeah, um, and that's because it's quite easily accessible and it's a good gateway into dance music for people. But the whole thing of like playing a track because it's ironic, mm. I just find like there's so much good music out there and there's so many producers that spend so much time making really amazing, interesting music. Mm like playing something because it's ironic isn't actually like i don't find that funny like it's it's that's not why people are into dance music it's i think your job as a dj is to make people dance and have a good time but also introduce them to new stuff that they might like as well and i 
without sounding snobbish, like if someone played like Barbie Girl or whatever, I'd just be like, it's not original either because it's yeah. been done a thousand times. And like, if I wanted to hear that, I would. I wouldn't be here. Yeah, 100%. I mean, like you said, obviously, if it's a gateway, it's good. If it's getting more people into dance music overall, it's, it's a good mm -hmm. overall, you know, it's a good thing. And there's positives to it, right? If if they're going to, you know, if they're going to start listening to this stuff and then... I, th I think and, actually the only people that I've seen do it properly or here doing it properly, like Optimal. Yeah, yeah, Like they yeah, know what yeah, they're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah totally. So it's, yeah. it's like not every... it's not everyone can do that yeah so yeah everyone yeah, totally. shouldn't so like they're good at yeah. that sort of stuff like i was speaking to sai last night and um we were talking about a festival that we played up in inverness and optimal mm. were playing and uh max actually said he was like we were with my little brother who hadn't seen them before and max was like honestly they're they're crazy they'll like play like motorhead ace of spades or something and then i'm not joking about three minutes later the drums for ace of spades came in and he was just like <laughs> I just, he just like picked out a thin air just like one crazy yeah. track that wouldn't actually fit in a dance music set but yeah. it sounded amazing because they're good at doing it yeah i think morris fulton apparently is good uh, at like just pick it, picking like an old doors track and just playing it in the middle of like a a techno set or whatever and it works but yeah i think when it's people who are doing it and they're not doing it to get a funny reaction. They're no. doing it because it works. So I think it's it's pretty obvious when people are doing it, especially there was that whole phase of people playing like, uh, they would play like no matter what type of set it was. And then they would, no matter, there was like a four or five year period, it was always a disco track as the last track. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah. I did it as well. But yeah, it, it's like the older you get, it's like yeah. you realise that it is a bit old hat and you should just kind of be true to yourself rather than trying to um, do what's popular. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, Optimal, as you said, they're amazing. Um, like big fans of theirs. I actually wanted to try and get them on the, on the podcast at some point as well. But uh, guys like that, they do it well. It's like... You know, there's no real, I think with them, there's almost like not a definitive, I, I suppose their sound is just like optimal. Like mm -hmm. the identity is, it's optimal, but that is, it could be like The Clash and then like uh, Grandmaster Flash and Furious Five, or it could be loads of stuff in, in and amongst like House, Electro, uh, whatever, 100%. techno, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, I also, for me, I think when I was going out clubbing all the time, what excited me was hearing something that I've never heard before and that feeling of like, oh my God, what is that? And not even just never heard, like never heard anything like it mm -hmm. before, you know, like what is that, you know, like goosebumps standing up, uh, yeah. hair standing up in the back of your neck, like that kind of thing. And it was more fun because you didn't have Shazam. So you had yeah. to really be like, you had to really look for it or you had to go troll through Discogs uh, or we... um there's a track that Dominic played in Croatia at a festival and I'm I'm not joking. We stayed up for, I think it was 18 hours um, looking for this one track. And <laughs> we kept saying to each other, it's definitely a Fast Eddie track. So we went through all the Fast Eddie's tracks and then we were like, maybe it's on this label. <laughs> and then actually, I swear to God, we didn't leave the living room for like 18 hours, just like, getting melted trying to find this one track <laughs> and then after like 18 hours i was like i've got his number one i just text him <laughs> so i just text him and like three minutes later i got the track and it, it was like a jimmy edgar track i was 
Like, that is amazing, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. But you don't get that now because you can just shazam it. Find but, it. But then sometimes you like won't it won't pick up, right? I mean, if yeah. it's, obviously if it's unreleased. But then um, there's other things that I suppose are just like too off radar, yeah. like too uh, rare. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's that's where I like that's maybe where I am kind of um, selfish when it comes to DJing because every people might not say it but there is something there's such a nice feeling about playing stuff and then people come up to the booth and be like like what is that i've never heard it before yeah and i would never say you're not getting it. i would always like show them what the record is but that's like probably one of my favorite things to happen is people come up and be like like what is that yeah definitely i think there's an importance in that i think you should really be trying to play things that other people aren't playing and like as you said, introducing people to music, but I think I think uh, if you know if you get something that's like three hundred uh, copies, like vinyl only, mm. you know, it's nice to have something that not everybody is going to be playing. And um, yeah, I think I think that's that is something that people should be striving for as as a DJ. Definitely, Yogi Hotton was saying that as well. Yeah, because it separates like it separates you from everyone else, and you need to have your own identity as a DJ. Otherwise, what what's the point in booking you? It's like I would feel like a fraud if I knew that I was just playing the same types of music or the same tracks as like the other ten DJs in that um, in that scene. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd much rather I'd much rather play. I discovering music is like the best part about the job. So I spend probably like at least six or sixty hours a week just trawling through music or labels that I haven't heard before and you're probably the same you'll go three days without finding anything decent yeah pulling your hair out and then you'll go through like a purple patch of finding loads of amazing stuff and there's it's one of the best feelings ever definitely and like you said there I think there's it's so important to try and create an identity I mean you look at some of the people that are like the top of the scene Ricardo Villalobos, he's got a, he's really got an identity, right? DJ and identity. Uh, you know, other people that maybe you you might be a fan of them, you might not be, but even you know, like Dixon, for example, um, like really got an identity, right? To the point where someone like me or you, if you walked into um, like someone's house and they were playing something on SoundCloud, you'd maybe be able to, you'd maybe quickly be able to tell, like, is this is this like a Dixon set or is this yeah. a Ricardo Villalobos set? And you know, guys like that, they've obviously been at the top top of the game for a long time and they've they they've remained there for a reason it's that's maybe partly to do with it right they've created an identity 100 percent. i actually heard someone i can't remember who it was but they said that ricardo villalobos is the best dj in the world at playing bad tracks and making them sound good because <laughs> if you go through his set list yeah say there's like 40 tracks you're like 35 of them sound horrific on their own but the way that he molds them together it sounds yeah. it sounds amazing yeah unbelievable like and to be honest we were talking about the irony i've i've heard him play some things where i'm like is this ironic yeah but but he makes it work i have to admit i have maybe seen him on the odd occasion maybe more than the odd occasion where he's maybe he's maybe been a wee bit too on the wonky side as well but but i'm the same i think i've seen him six times two where amazing the other four i was yeah i couldn't understand what was going on yeah maybe we're just not operating on the same uh yeah. same level mentally at that at that point like yeah. maybe he's whatever state he's in he's just sort of operating in a different uh in a different headspace and we're not fully understanding it but mm. but i think yeah you obviously 
you go and see there's times you go and see them as well or i've gone to see them where you're you're stood there like we were saying and you're like what is that like it's not it's not just what is the track like you've not heard anything like it you know mm-hmm. there was a a famous um was it like a tweet or something that midland had posted that had been a bit viral and he was talking about going to see ricardo and uh maybe like radish and radu or something and being stood there like what is this voodoo sorcery that's going on yeah. right now you know um yeah definitely man that's for me that's that's the exciting thing about going to see uh going to see someone dj and being on the other side of the dance floor definitely um listen mitch we're actually we're running a wee bit shy on time just now um before we go where can people that are listening find you could you maybe give them some links social media yeah so um just craigie now's on instagram and then craigie now's on Bandcamp. And then that's SoundCloud as well as Craigie Now's. Cool. And then there'll be links to like personal and private stuff on on there as well. So definitely follow us on Instagram because you'll get new releases before they come out and stuff like that. So nice. And uh, follow. are there any releases coming up really soon? You might have mentioned one earlier. Yeah, actually. so we've got, um, I'm trying to remember whose ones have been announced yet, but we've got... Um, DJ Life's doing another one. We've got Pascal Project, which is the kind of more poppy, poppy one that's coming out. Um, Fader Cap's doing another one. So we've got a pretty strong Australian contingency at the moment. Nice. Um, so there's lots of that sound and stuff coming out. And then next year we've got some kind of big acts who've been doing it for like 30 years who are coming out but i can't mention who it is yet ah amazing amazing i'll tell you off camera yeah yeah nice one nice nice and gig wise you said that you're playing on new year's eve yes yeah um i think i don't know if it's sold out yet but i I think it's pretty close to and that's in perth it's the basement of cafe 80 and then we're actually playing sneaky pete's for the first time on the 28th of December, so nice. It's a five AM license as well, so nice, nice. Should be good. So if you're in Edinburgh, come and check it yes, out. Yeah, wicked. All right, nice one, man. Thanks very much no, for coming you. on. It's been great talking to you. I've really enjoyed it. You so too. thanks very much, man.